0: And Anything else? If no, we're live. Amanda, speak up when you speak, and uh, take it away, son. Okie oh, dokie. So um,
1: we are in Parashat Shlach, um, means to be sent. I uh, one of my favorite things to do during the week on uh, in preparation for. Um, Shabbat with the parashot is to look at the Midrash, which is the Jewish commentary, the sages' commentary on the parasha, Midrash Rabbah. And uh, this week they had a really interesting one. One of the things that's great about um, Jewish commentaries on the scriptures is that they like to think about um, parables. You know, you, you, our, our master Yeshua was big into parables. He likes to tell the stories, kind of uh, this. The, the, uh, almost what we want to call like a sermon story kind of thing, and the Midrash is really big into them too. So the Midrash asks the question, and we can start with this passage where God says, "Go ahead, Shlach, send the uh, spies into the land of Israel." And the and the and the asks the, the sages ask the question, "Why does God want them to send the spies? God knows everything. He knows this is going to end very badly. Why does He tell Moses go ahead and send them'? Um, why not say no?" So they said, this can be compared to a king. And the king has a son, and the son is single. So the king wants to do the best thing he can do for his son, which is to find the son a woman, which is really the best thing that you can give for your son. So he goes, and he finds this perfect woman for his, for his son, and he tells his son, I have found you the best possible woman. She's beautiful. She is from a good family. She's educated. She's good character. This is the perfect woman for you like my wife, right and then the son, unlike, unlike me the son makes a very poor, poor decision here he looks at his father and goes well can I see her unfortunately what this indicates you may not realize this at first, it's subtle but the, what it indicates is that the son doesn't really trust the father that he's done a good thing for him he wants to double check first so the king is left in a quandary, what do I do if I say no, you can't see her he will say oh, it's because she's ugly that's why you don't want to see her but if I say yes, then that only reinforces his lack of faith and also, ultimately, um, runs the risk of him not liking her. So instead, um, the king says, uh, yes, you may go ahead and see her, but because you didn't trust me, she's not going to be yours. That is what happens in this parasha. Because the people of Israel get to the land of Israel. They have a chance to get in. God's been telling them for years literally that the land is a good land it's flowing with milk and honey it's perfect it's got everything you could ever want they get to the edge of the land and the people go wait 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 i want to see it first just in case of course god's stuck now in a sense god's never stuck but as it were that he he can say no but then it only reinforces their doubts so instead he says yes but ultimately their lack of faith comes through they didn't trust God at the beginning, they don't trust God at the end, and as a result, they are not allowed into the land of Israel. And I think this is a very powerful lesson for us because I think this oftentimes happens to us. We, we do this. God has a plan for us. He says, I have a plan for you.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, he says he has, he has good opportunities for us. We can trust him. He's got great things. And yet, how many times do we want to go, ah, God, let me, I, I think I have a better idea. Also, this is a good reason why we don't do fortune telling and other types of um, speaking to the dead and whatever else, because, again, it's a, it's a lack of trust in God. I, I kind of would like to know, just in case, you know, I, I want to prepare myself, or maybe I can change it or something. And it's not trusting that the God who's in charge of everything has a really good plan. He has the best plan for mm-hmm. us. And ultimately, that lack of faith, I think, really parlays into the, into the world to come, because in Hebrews, which we read a little bit from this morning, one of the things it says is that God had prepared a city for his people For Abraham, for the, for the faithful ones And it's one they haven't seen yet They, they don't know what, it, what it's like And yet it is perfect And it's everything It's worth the sacrifice It's worth the loss of what you have now To have it then and, uh, But a lot of people don't see it that way A lot of people say I'd rather live my life now I can see what I have now I'll do whatever I want And you know, I'll just go party with my friends in hell and that's good enough. And the unfortunate thing is, um, just like the people of Israel, the ultimate answer to that that attitude is, okay, you didn't want to see it, you don't have to. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a stern and sad reminder that uh, we really have to trust God. He knows it's best for us. Yes, sir?
3: On this idea of trusting and having faith or lack thereof, uh, there's another... Uh, Midrash that talks about <clears throat> when the spies went in, so they knew that this was going to be a land, a good land, flowing with milk and honey. Because as you already pointed out, God's been reinforcing this for at least forty years, right? So, but when they go into the land, the ten, the ten uh, wicked spies, as it were, they suddenly realize, okay, wait a minute, Hashem has been preserving us miraculously mm. for 40 years mm-hmm. you know, because as we wandered in the desert we didn't have water, we didn't have, Manna, food, we didn't from have heaven. and God miraculously uh, provided all of that for us now we're going into the land, the miracles are coming to an end mm-hmm. because the land has everything we need um, as evidenced by some of the amazing, you know fruits and, and things that they brought back, right? The land has everything we need, and there was this um, fear of, oh my gosh, it's on us now. Right. The miracles of God are about to end when we come across the threshold to come into the land in the sense that, you know, uh, it, food isn't just going to miraculously show up in the morning, you know, in the form of manna. It's like, no, the land has the ability for us to cultivate and, and and there was in the in the hearts and minds of the ten. In addition to the concern around the inhabitants of the land, there was this fear of uh, of uh, not wanting to let go of the miracles of God, mm-hmm. which even those miracles were not were, were we could say in a sense were not the perfect will, right? The perfect right. will is they be in the land, right, and not not be relying on, you know, on these you know, amazing miracles all the time. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so that was an interesting commentary. The, the lack of faith had to do with the fact that the realization came to them that, that you know, all of this miraculous life that we've lived in the last 40 years um, that was very obvious and very visible in many, many, many cases is, is about to come to an end. Yeah, and
1: Rabbi Kempel plays off of that one in his commentary on the book of Joshua. If you haven't listened to it, um, I think it's in the
3: landofthebible.com or
1: another all Land right of Israel, excuse me. Um, and he is, it's really cool. And one of the things he comments on that point is that uh, part of the issue was also the relationship with God. It wasn't just that they didn't want to have to work for their food and water, but they had this closeness with God. It was like automatic. It's like they're constantly seeing God do miracles all the time. So that relationship with God was very easy to maintain. So there they they was like this, oh, well, we, can't, we can't possibly maintain this closeness to God when we are having to do it ourselves. It's just, it's going to be too much materialism, too much physical world. We are not, we're going to, it's the, the, the light, so to speak, from God is going to become clouded in this world. And they, they mis-, what they mistakenly failed to understand is that God wants us to work for it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: God made us have one Shabbat and six days of labor.
2: Amen.
1: We're Amen. supposed to work in life. Life is not supposed to be automatic and easy all the time. It's supposed to sometimes be hard because when we er, work for it when we earn it, we stand before before Hashem, then the relationship is different. One of the um, I forget which one it was now it may have been um, the Baal Shem Tov. I can't recall which rabbi now. One of them is, is, is crying at the end of his deathbed because he can't do any more mitzvot in the world to come and the idea was you know here you have an endless opportunity to please god to earn reward but there it's over it's all finished and uh and that's why to your point it's like as we stand here especially those of us here in this world in this in america it's so easy to go well i don't live in the land of israel i can't do all this cool stuff wouldn't it be awesome if you know x y and z or maybe you're just looking forward to the days of messiah and you're like oh man i'm just so tired of this life i don't want to do this anymore but um paul uh shaul has a really cool comment he's he says i'm ready to go I am so ready to go, but if I don't, I'm also really ready to stay, because right here is where I have an opportunity to serve God. Yes, sir.
4: To that point, and actually, this is where the the ten unfaithful spies fail. The uh, the Rebbe actually he, he draws both in. He says the problem is it's not we're not talking about something that's mutually exclusive. That God wants us to be about the ethereal. Spiritual, and he wants us to be about the physical as well. And the Lubavitch Rebbe says, uh, he says, "Send out men for yourselves." And Rashi says, "Why do you say for yourselves? Why didn't you just tell them to do it?" And he's basically saying, he's commanding them to do what they should, what they will do. In other words, he's he's they're going to send spies out, and he's commanding them therefore to, to send spies, out. Yeah. Uh, which almost sounds like a setup, but it's not because they have the opportunity to come back with a good report. So mm-hmm. here's what the here's what the uh, the Rebbe says. A life of Jewish observance incorporates two elements following direct commands specified in the code of law in those areas which are not in B and in those areas which are not dictated by law we must use our own discretion to determine what is the most appropriate action as God told Moshe here each approach has its own unique advantage by issuing divine commands God chooses us to partner despite the fact that we are so infinitely inferior to him the command The command, thus, makes a bridge that connects us with God in a way that we would not otherwise be possible. However, with a relationship consisting of commands alone, like robots, we would remain passive, inferior partner, who is always told by the senior partner what to do. Therefore, part of our mission in this world is, is left to our own discretion. So that we can become active, equal partners with God, so to speak, making some of the decision for ourselves, while at the same time succeeding in pleasing our senior partner. And it reminds me of Matthew six, where Yeshua, standing at the at, at, at the place where people were casting their children into the into the into the mm-hmm. waters at at uh, Caesarea Philippi, where he stands up and he says, "Who do men say that I am?" And Peter stands up, and says, "Well, people say you're the Messiah." And he turns to him and he says, you've said the right thing. Not only have you said the right thing, I give to you the keys of heaven and earth. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed. Whatever you bind or whatever you bind in heaven will be loosed on earth. The idea is that God gives commandments and he expects us on the basis of those commandments to make wise decisions Mm -hmm. in our earthly lives and to bring his holiness into this world. Mm -hmm. So we're to obey the explicit commands and we're given discretion. It's one of the reasons why our family uses the apostolic scriptures as our basis for living instead of the authority of the Aruch. Not that the Aruch is wrong, but that because the apostolic scriptures are the explicit uh, instructions from Hashem to do with your discretion. His disciples are given discretion to obey His commandments in the way that they see fit in order to bring in its purposes to bring His holiness into the world.
1: Well, I think about like, the daily life has a lot of questions, a lot of decisions that are up, sometimes up for grabs. I mean, for example, love your neighbor has some very explicit things. You should, you know, uh, you know provide for the poor. That's. But even in the even within the, the code of Jewish law, you've got um, every morning if you do some of, in your prayers, there's that little section that says here are the things that have no measure. You know, there's certain things: charity, Torah study, a- uh, pilgrimage, acts of minutes. kindness. There's no there's no limit. There's no there's no if you do X number of charitable deeds per day, you are meeting the requirement of God. That's not in there. And trying to discern and try to figure out what does that look like, what does that mean, it can be a challenge. Um, and so we do have a certain degree of, of independence throughout our day, from day to day, that, um, that we have to make the right decisions in the right timing. And yeah, you're, and Moses here is left, like, as we talked about with God, Moses here is left in a bit of a difficult situation, and he decides to send the spies. As we see from Joshua, this wasn't necessarily a bad thing by itself. It was the motive that was the problem. Yes, sir. So a couple
0: of quick things. Um, quick show of hands. Don't think about it. How many, tribe, how many uh, spies were sent into the land? Twelve. One from each tribe? Yes. No. Okay. So what tribe did not? Levy. Levy did not send anybody. So how is that figured out? How do we not come short? Why weren't there 11? Two for Joseph. Two for Joseph, right? So we see that double blessing happening. So that's just one. Second thing, how many came back with a good report? Two. Two. How many did Joshua send? Two. Two. (laughs) Joshua sent two. He learned. That's cool. What I saw this time, uh, just... I have... uh, this year found myself sharing my halachic brand of faith uh, quite a bit more than in previous years with my clients and uh, they always seem to be enamored with the idea that we read the Torah portion each week they think that's really cool all Israel reading the same thing and they, they see the value that's, that's cool. But the question that normally comes back is, how does reading about sending spies into the land apply to your life? Well, what what good is that? And uh, and this week it uh, it came pretty obvious to me that uh, let me give you an example. You're walking through the mall. And you do a double tip. You go, because you walk past somebody and you can swear you know, you recognize them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now Chabad had a, a good uh, weekly drash thing they sent out this week about how we are built, designed by God, to recognize things we know. Mm-hmm. You see somebody, you see a picture of something, you recognize it. Isn't it interesting that the people of God seeing the miracles of God on their way to the land which God was going to provide when they saw the land 10 out of 12 did not recognize it as the land that he had described, only two did they didn't recognize it and when they were confronted with their disbelief their lack of faith they said, darn I blew it let me make it right and they couldn't
1: sometimes there's not a second chance
0: I know uh, well, what came home to me this year is I do this all the time
5: hmm.
0: yeah. I'm at the pistol range an old man's there he leaves, he comes right back and asks who's driving the Mini Cooper that he just backed into <laughs> and I think to myself vey, rather than Baruch Hashem It didn't happen outside God's will. It didn't even happen because he allowed it. He caused it. And I don't recognize that right off the top of my head. Why? Paul calls it, as you mentioned, Shaul calls it walking in the spirit rather than walking in the flesh. I don't think and recognize the things of God naturally and I need to change that and I need to recognize his work, his will in my life Mm -hmm. normally. Mm -hmm. That's the great sages of Israel. They see through God's eyes. So we're faced with having to leave a country we love and a community that we think is fabulous, and we automatically think, no, this can't be God's will, this can't be right, and I'm struggling with it. And we don't recognize His hand and His will. Maybe you, you, know, you fell in love with somebody and you want to get married to this person. And every way that God can show you he's saying that's not the one. But you don't recognize his hand. You don't recognize his work and his will. And in both cases all three cases it's a lack of faith. We don't have faith that he will care for us that the birds fall on the ground no they don't, they fly and they get all their food and it's out of God's hand that that happens Caleb had a spirit that was different than the other people it's interesting it doesn't mention Joshua he was the other guy but he obviously did as well and got a portion of Moses and then led his own people in and called on his own two spies it's
1: home to me this year. Yeah, I think it's an important reminder, one of the stories that the sages say that tell the story about how what happened to the spies. How did the spies get around? Because obviously the the, the people in the land were pretty impressive. So how did they manage to make it to the entire land of Israel and get back again without getting caught? What they say is that they would be a they would go into a new village, and right before they got to the village, God would strike dead the leaders of the village. Boom. Now everybody's all distracted. They're all mourning, burying their leaders, they're all at the funeral. And the spies kind of traipse in, check out the city from a distance, and then they get out. No big. Perfect. What a cool mirror. Great idea. But the sages say in the Midrash, Rabbah, that the spies, the ten spies who were evil, they saw this and they said, oh, my goodness, people are dying all over the place in this land. Here, every time we show up in a city, boom, someone's dead. It's the land that devours its inhabitants. That's the quote that they use. The land that consumes their inhabitants. So the Hashem's response is, this was my miracle. This is how I'm trying to give you protection as you travel in my land. And you flipped it on its head. And you don't recognize like, it. You didn't recognize it. Instead, you saw it as a bad thing. That's right. And that turned you against my plan for you. So to your point, it's a really good, a really good point because really what it boils down to is trust. Mm-hmm. That's what we started with, with the story at the very beginning with the king and his son. It comes down to trust, because what God really wants more than anything is relationship with you. Um, Rabbi Foreman, in his uh, talk this week, uh, focuses... or Actually, it's his, one of his assistant rabbis. focuses that one of the things that God was trying to build with the people of Israel throughout the wilderness was relationship. He wanted to know that he loved them, that he had a plan for them, that he was going to take care of them. And the ultimate way for him to provide for them was to give them a land of their own. And yet, at the end of the story... They didn't recognize god just like the egyptians so god responds the same way i'll wipe you all out with a pestilence He uses the same phraseology that he used with the egyptians um in the end he doesn't do it but the only reason he doesn't do it is because it would make him look bad the people deserved it they had blown it they had thrown away their relationship with god um but god is gracious uh, to them in the midst of that so i think uh, yeah if, if we go through this we, we need to be watching because there are things i think you see look bad all the time oh my goodness land that devours its inhabitants, but actually it's the miracles of God. The um, think about uh, your story, Glennis, it reminds me we've been reading about Brother Andrew, um, who was, he smuggled Bibles into uh, the communist countries, and, uh, and he would go to these communist countries, and the, the Christians who were living in, the, in like Russia and Yugoslavia and other parts of the, of the Soviet Union um, during the, the middle of the last century, they were so sad. Their, their lives were so hard. There was persecution. Their churches were dwindling the the the, the anti faith environment was so intense because um, communists didn't believe anything they were total atheists and he um, and so they they would say you know oh we wish we could come with you to leave our country to go back with you to Holland to to experience the freedom of religion and brother Andrew would look at them and say no no no, no. you were you are here for a reason mm-hmm. don't leave your country to go be a missionary be a missionary here mm-hmm preach the gospel in your country i have to work so hard to Just get into your day. country to share the gospel and you're already here so as i heard your story Glenis, i was thinking that in a way like god is sending you with an opportunity to to bring the light that you found here to the people in Colombia, and that's all like a it's a privilege it's a it's a special opportunity even though it's hard even though it looks sad it is sad um at the same time God has a plan for that, and I think that's as you were saying. It's it's even you know, in the in the midst of the guy backing into your mini. God has a plan for even for that. Yeah. And I've got Marianne, and then I've got uh, two guys here.
2: Um, just a sidebar. I want to make sure I got this right. Caleb wasn't he a Gentile? Yep. Yeah. That is one way of looking at it. Say yes.
1: a Yeah. Kenesite. So they uh, it's uh, not one, a traditionally we we look at that way. and see that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's <laughs> very cool. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> as we get into. Um, well, as we get through this passage, actually, we see a lot of stuff about the proselytes. You know, the, the guys who are not Jews who say, I want to be with you guys. Mm-hmm. They get to the, offer the same sacrifices. They get the same atonement if they sin by accident. Um, and so on and so forth. So, uh, yeah, God, God links them together. It's pretty nifty. Um, he, uh, he, he did pretty well for himself, I have to say. That's you know, rising Hefron. up the ranks there. He gets head Yeah, well, he gets head because he was the only one who stood up for it he recognized and it's great because if you recognized. read
0: the, if you he recognized. He recognized.
1: if you read the passage it's fantastic because um, Hebron of course is the, is the scary place that's where the big three giants live so when you get into the book of judges um, uh, Caleb goes in the guy's like 90 years old by then cuz he's like he's been they've been wandering the wilderness for 40 years he was at least 40 you know that so he gets to Hebron and the dude's like I mean your great grandfather and he goes in and he takes out like these big monsters in Hebron so he earned it Yes, sir.
3: Um, so there's a there's a, there's a there's a tradition that the names of the ten spies that the meanings of their names actually allude to the sin that they that they committed.
1: Yeah, their names were not so impressive.
3: Right, <laughs> uh, and there's and some of their names are are unusual. But mm. but what's interesting is so we have this tradition that their names allude to the sin they committed while they were spying mm. out the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, but interestingly only two are actually remembered. Oh. So, we, so we don't know okay. what eight of the ten names mean. But the two that we remember is uh, uh, from the tribe of Asher, Satua ben Michael. Mm-hmm. And Setua is kind of a weird, I mean, that's not a common... Jewish or Hebrew name.
1: Um, <laughs> we'll find out why, in a and minute. then, uh,
3: and then, and then the one after that from the tribe of Naphtali, Naphtali not ben Bafs, Bafsi, That's also Bafsi is also kind of unusual, but uh, but so what's interesting is the to say that Sefer means the the connotation of the name is uh, one who like uh, goes against or contradicts and the idea is that his sin was that he he was contradicting um he was contradicting really what he saw. I mean, he saw that the land was good. Mm-hmm. But yet he chose he chose to kind of contradict the the fact that the land was good and chose to you know, kind of set that aside and then the um uh, Mah uh, ben Vasi the connotation of his name is like to hide in other words he hid he hid the truth in the sense that he did not mm-hmm. really give uh, proper disclosure. you know he only chose to disclose you know these things that in his mind mm-hmm. were bad but he didn't really fully disclose all the good he kind of hid mm-hmm. that you know the good things about the land. And didn't really t- fully disclose that. So <clears throat> anyway, so that is just—it's an interesting tradition that their names somehow alluded to what they did. That right. kind of put them in this camp of of, of the wicked. And uh, but those are the only two that we that we have an understanding of.
1: So. It's interesting you mentioned um, like that uh, the 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 names being kind of associated with their sin. The, the, the sages asked this odd question: If these guys were were kind of lame. In the end, they didn't do so well here. Why did they get picked? I mean, who's going around making those guys the leaders? But the sages say, well, they argue a little bit. Like some say, oh, these guys, were, they, used to, they were wicked. Other people say, no, 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 actually, they were righteous. They were good guys, but they ended very poorly. And that's one of the things I think that's really scary. As um, Christine had a chance to read from Hebrews chapter 4, um, I think a lot of times we forget. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. And a lot of people think, well, I had a great upbringing, I had good parenting, I had whatever. And it's like, so I I, I spend 10 years of my life doing whatever I want to. I just got to get my wild oats out. We'll, we'll get back to life again after that. And the, the spies here, they started They started well. They were leaders. These were good, godly men, according to some tradition. And yet, um, in the Midrash, we see, well, in the story, we see that they, they fail so miserably at the end. And the idea is it's that how you finish, it ultimately is like the summary of how you fin. And so it's like all of that, all of they had done good before got lost because they had, they failed so miserably at the, uh, when it, when it really mattered. And I think you, you know, you see stories in, um, you see stories like in, in war movies or things like that, or, or you watch, you know, you, you see athletes in sports and it's like, you know, everyone, everyone remembers the guy who is the game winning shot in the championship game and everyone goes crazy. And... But, and everyone always looks at the guy. You know, the, I remember there was uh, there's some players who make it to the championship game over and over again, but they can never win. And instead of people going, man, those guys, they're, they're pretty, they're amazing. I mean, they're second best, like, every year. No, what they normally go is they go, those guys, how sad. Like, they can't win the big one, like, once? I mean, what is that? Like, they get up there and they just choke. They freeze. So instead of looking at their body of their work and saying, wow, they're really impressive, instead we remember how they finished, that they couldn't finish what they were sent here to do and that's I think really scary to realize that um, uh, it is ultimately how you finish it is, it is a, a journey of perseverance it's not a journey of of, um, of a body of work over time but ultimately it's a relationship with God and like a normal relationship with a person you can severely damage that and it's not easy to rebuild and in some cases you can run away from it and then lose everything so it's more
4: than the undoing. I mean, it's not like okay, I have a balance and somehow I can, I've undone it. It's actually to, the, to our to your detriment. It, it more than overcomes whatever good you did. Mm-hmm. You could start off as Bruce Jenner winning gold medals, medals in the Olympics, and, up mm-hmm. and end up as Caitlyn and completely nullifying, mm-hmm. even beyond nullifying yeah. what you mm-hmm. did.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Armstrong.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's another good example. You know, yeah. he's got who. He, he was cheating the whole way through, but um, that but yeah, you're right. In the end, we you remember, you remember the end of the story, not the beginning, so it's really tough. I've got same, you. Topic, same, topic? <laughs> same topic, same topic. I get him first, I'm right back. You,
0: this is the first year that I realized that the 10 spies didn't fare well.
5: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Now, a lot of times when I'm talking to people uh, that are still in the visible representation of the church and uh, enjoying that walk. Um, they've been taught that there's really two gods, right? There's the God of the quote-unquote Old Testament. The mean God. The mean God. Right. And the ferocious God and the killing God. And then there's the wonderful, loving, friend, pal uh, God of the quote-unquote New Testament. Who sets who's the world on fire, by the way. Who's full of grace and compassion and this is a really great passage to bring them to because it was it is grace that allows us I mean I think what we really need to come to grips with is I like to think throughout the day that I would if I were one of the twelve that I would be like one of the two <laughs> Right. but well, the reality is and the numerics are that I would not Mm. that in fact every other part of my life at some point during the week demonstrates my lack of faith Mm. that I immediately think the wrong way and have to correct myself now, you know, praise God perhaps I'm doing that less and less (laughs) as I get older but, and perhaps that's why Paul says not to lay hands quickly on a young man but be that as it may God is showing me grace every day because when I choose to not recognize his hand and his will and his blessing and I pick the wrong way and I'm upset or whatever it may be he does not strike me dead with a plague Right. those 10 guys died and I think they died pretty quick yeah. And everybody in the camp was going, oh, man. No, see, it is a good land. I'm sure it's a good land. Yes, <laughs> forget that. They were wrong. Yeah, let's go up. Big mistake. Too late. So there, there is grace that God provides. And He did provide grace in that instance because He only took right. the ten with the bad report and not everybody.
1: Right. You're right. And it's interesting you mentioned um, the, the ten with the bad report died. Because the sages point out, um, if you've been following the parashot, you notice that uh, we've had the story of Miriam. Miriam slanders against, uh, against Moses, says he's doing something he shouldn't be doing, <laughs> and God strikes her with leprosy to guys had the camp for a few days. What's the thing that God specifically says about Miriam? It's one of the six remembrances. Remember what happened to Miriam on the way. Well, what immediately happens in this parashot? They totally forgot about slander because what happens? They come out of the land. They speak terribly of the land. They slander the land and Moses and, and Moses and Aaron. And Aaron but it's, but in particular, they slander God through slandering the land. And God looks at them and says, "No, you didn't learn the lesson." So they they suffer in some ways a harsher penalty, but similar.
0: By the way, killed was at least sixty.
1: Oh right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes.
0: Um, yes, he is. But I think yes. He was yeah. at, least 60 at least 60 when he went into the land at least 60. to be a spy. Forty years later yeah. is when they got into the land. They had counted only 20 and up, and he was one of those that was mm. counted. So he had to be at least 20 when he was a spy going in. Right. Forty years later, everyone is dead except he and Joshua, Moses and Aaron. Right. They're the oldest people in the congregation. Yeah. And that's when they went into the land, and the old guy took the land of the giants.
1: Cool. He was pretty cool. We like him. We like Caleb. Um, I got my mom first.
2: Um, I think one of the things that, talking about those 10 were taken out, I think that's one of the things that, not to be fatalistic, but to always keep in mind that we don't know that we have tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And if we're to be warned to, to be aware. And we don't know when our Messiah will return. And so to always be on watch and to be faithful because you know, we don't have any guarantee and so to remember that they probably were taken out pretty quickly and pretty fast. And yeah. we see, you know, Korah, the earth opens up. That was pretty up. quick, too. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, there's a number of times that we've read, you know, the passages that tell us that God's judgment is swift. Yeah, and he's a consumer. So, not that he's not merciful and gracious, but um, we don't know when he's judgmental.
1: When we, I think in our, in our modern American days, we're so big into forgiveness that I think that we tend to assume that there are endless chances. As long as I say I'm sorry, I get another chance. Amen. The reality is that that's not always true. And sometimes even with God, who is ultimately compassionate, ultimately gracious, and ultimately forgiving, you only get one shot. And even if we look at God as even if we're always forgiving, the reality is you always only get one shot. You don't get to do the, your day over again. You don't get to hit reset and do the whole thing from scratch, let me try that one more time. When I was, uh, when I was n- more newly married than I am now, because I'm still relatively newly married compared to some <laughs> legends in this room, um, I, uh, I would sometimes, um, something would not go well. I would say something really stupid, or I would take something the wrong way, or whatever it would be, and, and then I'd be like, oh, wait, 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 let, let's replay that whole scene. What I should have said is this. And it was my job of trying to reprogram myself so that next time I wouldn't say the same stupid thing again, which that was good. But the reality is, I, I couldn't take it back. I couldn't fix it because I tried to fix it. And th- I think that's scary. I think sometimes, like I said, in, in our American culture, we don't realize that sometimes you only get one shot. Sometimes you get two, but you don't get any more. And the idea that somehow if we just say I'm sorry, or if I just put enough effort into it, I can fix whatever I did, not you can't. Mm. In fact, you always only have one real chance. Because once you blow it today, you can't undo that. You can change yourself and not make the same mistake again, yeah. but you can't undo the mistake you made. Yeah. That's a scary thought. Um, yes, sir?
3: Yeah. So, uh, so a couple, couple ideas here. First of all, we have ten spies who come back with the, the wicked report. These are men who were chosen to represent their, their respective tribes, right? So they're leaders. Ten, we you know... Is a number that represents a million. In other words, the congregation. Right. So, in other words, the people, the the, the congregation believed the, the bad report. Not it, ju- it wasn't just that the ten spies came back with the bad report, but mm. the congregation sided with them mm-hmm. against Kalev and um, and uh, sure. So mm-hmm. that's. Point number one, and that's part of the reason why the nation then, right. you know, walks in circles for forty years until they all drop dead. Right. Um, now, uh, what's interesting is is um, what happens there. You know, after the incident, they want to stone Moses and Aaron. And, you know, all of that. Um, Moses is having a conversation with Hashem, right? It's not going and, well. And, with, and in verse 19 he says, forgive now the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your kindness, etc., etc. And what's interesting is in um, some translations may say uh, the sin of the people, but the Hebrew word there is leavon is uh, so Avon, it's, as opposed to like Katat, which is typically the word for sin So this has more uh, in the idea of Avon. It's like a, it's like a heavy burden.
1: It's like uh, the word for stone. stone,
3: right? It's very similar, right? And and where do where do we where can we learn that? We can learn that from Isaiah chapter one verse four, where it says, "Woe! They are a sinful nation, a people weighted down by." iniquity is the English word, but it's the same Hebrew word, abo, abo, meme, I guess, kind of plural there. But so this word is, um, uh, is interesting. And so, of course, kind of, you know, kind of dig in on that. And it turns out that this incident and two other times, Moshe interceding on behalf of the people, Ask God to forgive the avon of the people, this heavy, weighty burden, iniquity that they have, Um, and it and it's all. It only happens three times that Moshe specifically praised Hashem using this word. The word uh, has a gematria of one hundred and twenty-six. So, because I'll say, okay, this happens three times. Three times one hundred and twenty-six is three hundred and seventy-eight. Just kind of add the three incidents together. Right. Um, What's the connection they make? Because who's going to lift the heavy burden? This this heavy, burdensome iniquity. Uh, And again, by the way, that's also the same word that's used in Isaiah fifty-three, where he's Um, oppressed. He he, oppressed by their iniquity. Right. Same. Same word. They say, "What's the, what is going to be the resolution, or how is this heavy burden, this heaviness, this heavy weighty iniquity going to be lifted and removed from the people?" And the answer is actually in the previous verse, mm-hmm. where it says, "Hashem, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, uh, forgiver of iniquity and willful sin, who cleanses." Okay, and. That the first part of that verse, which in Hebrew is um, that which is translated as "abonai slow to anger," or sometimes your English translation may say "like long suffering" or something like that. Um, that phrase is 378 in the Gematria. In the that phrase is 378. So what is the rectification or how is the burden ultimately going to be lifted, this iniquity that's weighing the people down, it is the fact that Hashem is slow to anger that he is long-suffering that his kindness does endure forever, that ultimately is the is the answer which mm-hmm. is kind of cool yeah,
1: that's very cool, and if you recognize that passage, it shows up, and we pray Yom Kippur prayers we will be doing in several months from now um that that passage shows up over and over and over and over and over again. And the sages, they go into that because they talk about the idea that when we first saw this, it's actually an exodus, where God reveals himself to Moses, and he shows his back to him, and then He said, God says this passage to Moses about himself. I am you know, uh, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, etc. Slow to anger. And they... um. And so the sages say that, that Moses comes, first he comes to God, this is an like in the Midrash uh, piece, he comes to God and says, okay, remember your covenant to Abraham. And God looks at him and goes, aren't you a son of Abraham? I will make you a great nation and I'll wipe all of them out. <laughs> and, and Moses goes, no, 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 never mind. <laughs> if you do this, it'll make look bad before Egypt and before the, the tribes of Canaan. And then to like, emphasize, like um, add an extra uh, piece to his argument, Moses comes and he quotes this passage because he says, when you brought this passage to me before, it was the greatness of your kindness, the greatness of your mercy. In other words, your justice, this element of you that's always there, is in a, in, in a way, from our perspective as humans, overpowered by your kindness. So he's saying let that, that greatness, that strong wow. kindness, come through now and overpower your desire for justice because... Yes, we deserve it, but we're asking you to do what you do. And, um, and so when we get to Yom Kippur, we pray this passage over and over and over again because our desire is that God would essentially um, overturn what we deserve. He would do what we don't deserve so that we can experience that forgiveness. Um, and, we, and we learned from Moses, who quotes this back to God. So we also quote it back to God to ask him to forgive us. If you do the Yom Kippur prayers, and you happen to have a uh, uh, Yom Kippur Ketan, the, the small ones, which is the day before um, Rosh Kodesh, uh, if you happen to have a minion, which I never have, but anyway, um, if anyone ever has a minion on one of those those prayers, you also pray this passage over and over and over again because we're, it's a time of repentance as we start a new month to remember and ask God to be merciful to us even though we don't deserve it.
6: Did you have your hand mm-hmm. raised? Yeah. Go ahead. I have to let my brain breathe for a little bit after those last couple of comments. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Uh, chapter thirteen, verse sixteen. We haven't really got very far
1: It's okay, this is the this is the heavy part of it. We'll we'll kind of brief the rest of it.
6: Okay. Well it says et <laughs> These are the names of the men that Moses sent to in Hebrew Latour et uh, to, to tour the land. Uh, and literally that word Latour in Hebrew Actually means just like it sounds in English to tour. <laughs> the, the word to spy, completely different word, and that's used in back uh, in the beginning of Deuteronomy as well as in in Joshua. The the word to spy out, it's like the espionage, like military thing, is not the word here. This is literally he wanted to call out different guys who were gonna take a tour, like t- they're gonna be tourists to the land of Israel. Awesome. That's why the only guy out of the twelve out of the twelve that really had any military background was Hoshea. Mm-hmm. All the others, they're, they're princes. They're royalty right. of the tribes of Israel. So they're they're like the delegation, if you will, to go tour right. the land. So this is not a military thing. It's, it's a fact finding court. Right. right, yeah. And um, which also makes, makes the I guess, the sin of these leaders more unique. Because it all comes down to uh, the ch- chapter later. They say, we were like grasshoppers in our eyes, mm-hmm. so, we, so were we in their eyes. And that... Is like the pinnacle sentence of of their sin. Right. And Mm. first off, it's not true because if you read the, like this morning we read the Song of the Sea, where it says the dwellers of Canaan dissolved and the dwellers of Philistia shook in terror or something that effect. So even before these guys arrive at the border, to the land of Canaan, the Canaanites are already freaking out. Right, yeah. and then, they're still freaking out forty years later. Exactly, right. <laughs> that's still exactly the that that today. <laughs> right, so mm-hmm. so first off, it's not even true that that the Canaanites were scared or viewed them as grasshoppers. But what's more interesting is that that there's, there's really not a problem with the, the first part of their sentence. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers in their eyes. Mm-hmm. And so were we in their eyes? Mm-hmm. Right? So you you can have whatever I guess you want to think about yourself but it is forbidden, you're not allowed to cast what you think other people view about you or about others. So that's really the sin is that, um, and, and it's, when I've looked at in my own life, the times where uh, I've had the, the, the biggest mess ups, or the biggest times I ever felt more judged or misunderstood is when others were presuming that they knew what I thought or what I saw or what, or what I was yeah. doing, they, when they had a preconceived notion. So, this, hmm. and that right there is, is the, the biggest, I guess, practical takeaway is that today we don't make the same mistake that you know what others think or observe or have, right. Right. Um, you know, uh, set in mind already. That's false know. That's
1: very good. Yeah, that um, Midrash Shabbat goes off of that and God responds to the spies. He's like, I can forgive the first half of that. But the second half, it's like, how do you know that? Maybe you appeared like angels before them. You have no idea how they took you. Um, and we were talking about that um, recently and, and just saying how like even when people tell you what they think of you That may not be what they actually right. think of you because they may be hiding something because they're intimidated by you Or they may think that you're amazing, but they don't really want to say that out loud for whatever reason So it's like you're right. I think at the end of the day. We are we can only be Really only kind of in a sense worry about ourselves um, worry about what God thinks of us primarily. Right. So it's all of, it's all of this relationship um the, the horizontal relationships be influenced by that, obviously, and uh, we want to try it. Um, we want to try to make sure that as we're interacting with people, we're not um, we're not needlessly rude or offensive or whatever. But at the same time, yeah, to your point, you can't you can't put can't put somebody else's thoughts. You can't figure them out yourself. So sure. yes, sir.
0: I, 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 that
4: was really good. Matt, and that was so good. It, You know, it's that on the co- on the flip side, there's the Joel Olstein approach to to uh, to life, and that is. I must be wonderful because God loves me, and everybody should think I'm wonderful. Uh, you know, true humility says, I really am a grasshopper. You know, it doesn't matter what other people think. All it matters is what God thinks, but I really am a grasshopper. And I think that the Rambod's uh, uh, instructions to his son are really very important for us as, as men and women, that we, that we recognize that we have many, many failures. And that when we look at others, we don't assume that they see our failures, but instead we ascribe to them always the highest of motives, where, where I sin intentionally, they sin from, from out of, you know, with the, out of negligence, or out of, or not out of negligence, but out of ignorance, or mm-hmm. whatever else. Where I do things that are right, it's because I have an ulterior motive. Whereas they do things that are right, it's because they have the highest of motives. That perspective, and that constant perspective, and re-examination of our lives, keeps us, as grasshoppers in our own eyes, but recognizes that it is ultimately up to God to elevate us as He sees it. It's
1: true. It's very true. Very yes.
2: Yeah, I'm really glad that you said that. What you said, Jonathan, because I think a lot of people, I certainly, you see, spy, and you mm-hmm. think, well, that's a different, you know, job description or something. And you, were, and when they come back with the report, and how could that be wrong because they're supposed to spy? I wanted to know what the word is in Chapter 13, 2, that mine says that they may search the land, because I noticed that this morning, like, Well, they're searching it in 2, and they're spying, or now that you're staying it's tour. Yeah, it's tour. So it's I'm kind of wondering, is yeah, touring tour in 2 yeah. as well? Yeah. Or exploring, mm-hmm. uh, in like think, group. Huh. Cool. So. Um, uh, Thank you for bringing
1: that up. Absolutely. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, unfortunately, we're going to have to move rapidly to the rest of this portion so that we can end more or less on time. Um, so we're going to skip ahead here. Uh, I'd like to hit on a couple of things in the post-spy section, if, if that's okay with everybody. Um, chapter 15, <laughs> at the very beginning of the passage, um, I think it was First Writes of Zion that highlighted this as being so cool because uh, you read this passage and i have got to say, if you've ever read a chapter of a book um, I love I love Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens is a great author. Sometimes you just get finished with this really poignant, wonderful story about the main character, and then you read the next chapter, you think, am I reading the same book? <laughs> <laughs> what? This is a totally new character who lives somewhere else, does something differently, and you're thinking, what is this even talking about? And then you think, well, it's probably just a story. They're going to reintroduce the main character. No, no. This very secondary, <laughs> tertiary character gets an entire chapter to themselves, and you're, and you're like, holy cow, it's like, 15 pages on this guy. Who is this guy? And he has like one scene in the rest of the book. But Charles Dickens felt like it was important to put him in there. And the reason was because Charles Dickens is painting a universe for us. He's getting us into the world that our heroine or her- hero live in so that we can really feel and understand the world that, that they're experiencing. Um, so I hope that as you read chapter 15, you start to get into the world. Of the people of israel here because it does seem kind of jarring we just had the story of the spies god's next thing is god said to moses saying speak the children of israel and say to them when you will come to the land wait 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 wait! i think we just heard 40 years it's going to be 40 years and the next verse is when you come to the land and um uh so i think first off uh, well, i think it's really beautiful is i think it's the first person pointed this out is that that is such an excellent picture of forgiveness God looks at the people of Israel and says, you've blown it, big time. This was a huge mistake. But the next thing that he says is, but I'm still faithful. I'm still gonna do what I said I'm gonna do. And you still, as a nation, not the individuals, but as a nation, you will come to the land. And how does he prove it? He gives them a commandment to fulfill once they're there. It's not just a promise, it's instructions. Um, in Israel, if you go to Israel, sometimes uh, if you're coming back to the United States, um, uh, as you're traveling, Uh, I think you were one of the special ones chosen for this mission Uh, Religious Jews sometimes would give uh, charity to the person traveling So they have a mission to do when they go back to their home country or wherever they're going um, So that when they're as they're traveling God will protect them because they have a mission They have a reason for going it's not it's not them that's going because they want to travel They're going specifically on a mission from God So therefore they will have protection and safety as they go Kind of a cool idea and, uh, and that's kind of like we have here. This is almost like a, it's a stamp. It's a promise. God's saying, not only am I going to give you this land, I've already been saying that for a long time, but just in case you were thinking, maybe he doesn't mean it anymore, here's a mitzvah I'm, ask, I'm ordering and commanding you to do. I didn't do that in vain. Why would I give you a commandment you'll we'll never be able to fulfill? Wait, that sounds vaguely familiar. But um, uh, that argument oftentimes comes from, from Christians who, who think that somehow the Torah was never meant to be kept. You, know, you can't keep it. So that's why God told you to do it um but in this case what we're seeing here is the um that God gives them a commandment that they will keep he's giving them a promise so to speak that they're going to make it to the land um and that is incredibly encouraging and as we, as they wander through the wilderness they still have opportunity um i think as as you are going through here chapter 15 is all about the commandments that they're going to be able to fulfill the uh, uh, even when they sin unintentionally and so on and so forth um but then they come at the end of chapter 15, we get to the sad story of the, um, the guy who's carrying wood, and, and I think this story emphasizes again that they still had a mission, and I think that sometimes we think, we I blew it. Maybe you blew it really badly, and now an opportunity has been lost to you forever, and you, have, you, don't, you, it got, you thought that God had this awesome chance for you, you made a mistake, you did something wrong, you knew you did it wrong, and now that chance is lost. And the reality is that even if that's true, God has a new mission for you. He has something to be doing now. And the people of Israel, as they're wandering the wilderness for 40 years, they still had an obligation. Um, again, I think First Fruits points that out. They had an obligation to serve God in the wilderness. They weren't pointless. They weren't living meaningless lives. Their lives still had meaning. It just didn't have the same meaning it did before. Um, and sometimes that's true with us too, with plans. Plans don't go the way we wanted. You know, we We are coming up on three years being married in October. So uh, it's pretty exciting. We thought we'd have at least one, two, three kids by now. I don't know. And that hasn't happened yet. So it's easy sometimes in that moment to be like, that's it. I guess I have no plan, no purpose. God messed up, or I messed up. Somebody messed up. And it's all over. And, and that's not true. God just has a different plan. And we have to embrace that. And we have to find a way to serve God in the midst of that. Yes, sir. So um,
3: in the middle of chapter 15, we have five verses insert uh, the commandment of Allah mm-hmm. um, and so there's an interesting connection here to uh, uh, to the uh, to the mothers of the faith particularly to Rahel because you know, they, you know, traditionally there's three commandments that are primarily you know, by tradition associated with, with Jewish women Right, and challah being one of them, Nidah, mm-hmm. family the purity being the other, and then and then challah uh, lighting kindling the, 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 the lights. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the acronym that the, the rabbis use for that is chana. Those three, <laughs> those three um, commandments. But here we have specifically the commandment for challah, um, and what's interesting is. Um, it says here in verse 18, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, depending on your translation, but it's it's. Um, Archibald says when you come to the land, other translations say as you come to the land and in the Hebrew it's uh, it's uh, and what's interesting is that is a Unusual way to say that because mm-hmm. most of the time it's in fact, if you go back up to the beginning of the chapter, when you will come to the land, it's Kitohu mm. al or sometimes we will say when God brings you to the land, mm-hmm. right? but this uses a different, a different, it's like a present tense almost, it's like in right? your coming, in your coming, or as you're coming, right? And it's and it's Bohem uh, al Um and the again, you know doing their thing, right? They kind of pick up on the nuance. Well, what's you know what's going on here? al um, alcharets. If you take the first letter of each of those three words, is ba. Um, okay. Hmm. They they look back through the through the scroll and they find an interesting connection there, specifically with Rachel with Rachel, because that word Baa is only used twice in the Torah as and it's specific, both times it's in connection with Rachel and specifically it's when uh, when uh, Jacob goes back to the land goes back to the land of Laban right and the story where he's at the well and he's talking to the to the locals and he says, hey do you, you know, do you know Laban, and they say, yeah, we know him, and look, here comes his daughter, mm. Rachel. Ba'ah, ba-a, Rachel, right? And then, a couple verses later, it uses that same Ba'ah in connection with Rachel. So, so, um, so this, so they connect the, this command of Hala with, um, somehow connect it to Rachel. And, uh, this 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 passage, actually the verse uh what is it, verse um nineteen? Uh, verse verse I think it's nineteen uh is is where it actually says in the Hebrew Rishit As As uh As the hem the only time in the Torah where the word hala is used, right here. It's only used once. The um that, that verse has 43 letters in it, which is also the Godotry of challah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay, um, which is, it's just it's kind of cool. It's an act. Yes, yeah, it's a <laughs> coincidence, right? <laughs> um, the, the root, so challah is a three-letter word, uh, word right, it's, it's, it's het lamed he, which means it only has a two-letter short, so a two-letter root. Most, most Hebrew words have a three-letter root. In this case, it has a two-letter root, and the root is chet lamin okay, um, Chel Chal, right? Which mm-hmm. is also the root of Rachel, <laughs> because Rachel is same root with a Resh at the beginning or the Resh at the beginning, right? Um, so, yeah, the same root of Chal with Rachel. And what's interesting is when Rachel came back into the land, because remember, as you come into the land. Right is when we have to separate Hala. When Rachel came back into the land, what happens to her shortly after she returns to the land? She dies. Where? Beit Lachem. <laughs> bread. Same root. That's funny. Okay. Now, so there's this yeah, they're making this connection, right? What's, what gets even cooler, I, you know, just, just, God is just a genius, right? <laughs> if you take all five verses in this passage that talk about the separating of hollow, if you add up the gematria, of the whole, all five verses, it's the number 9520. Why would we care? Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's divisible, and the, the, the uniqueness of that number is, it's divisible by the number 40. Well, again, why would we care, right? Because 40 is the gematria of Rahel using ordinal value, meaning taking the, the place value of the three letters okay. is 40. So it's another, it's another gematria for her name. Right. So the five verses divided by Rahel equals 238, which is her ordinary, they're oh that's bread. funny because oresh has 200 uh, so in other words the whole five verses uh, uh, total Rachel times Rachel. <laughs> Rachel yeah. squared Rachel yeah. squared right? that's really cool which but but in what's the the idea is that when the because the bread before we come into the land where does our bread come from mana right. but it comes down from now no, 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 now it changes. Now as we come into the land, we have to, and not when, not when you will come in, but as you come in meaning this, as soon as you step in the land, you have to start doing this, mm-hmm. even before you've actually settled it. Mm-hmm. Because now the bread is going to come from the earth. It's going to come from the bread. It's not coming yes. from heaven. And the bread is what's going to, the bread of the land is what's going to strengthen you. To take over the land, to 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 settle and to conquer, Mm. and and it is the it is the the women of the community are tasked with making sure that this commandment is 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 done so that we actually can Mm -hmm. um, settle the land appropriately. Very cool. Women um, yeah, I I mean,
1: mean, were are supposed to be in the spirit of Raquel, right? In the spirit. In the spirit of Raquel. It's
0: pretty that cool. Happened in Joshua five in Red They haven't stopped as right. soon as they had the harvest. As soon as they And that's when they
1: do the, the first fruits. You get all that's that true. that in there. So yeah, very cool. Very cool. Yes, sir. And I got you.
4: Yeah, uh, it's interesting to me. I think it is. A, it is kind of jarring after you get the you know we blew it kind of discussion that immediately says bring offerings. But it's interesting also in the midst of that, it talks about when a convert comes to live with you and he's supposed to bring, the same law applies to the convert as to the native form. And interestingly enough, Rashi and Rambam, uh, and Rambam both turn this commandment exactly upside down. Uh, they say a convert can actually never really be in his order because, mm-hmm. of his commandment, because he can't bring it up. Yeah, I know, but... It makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. Uh, the, the notion, and this is, this is where even modern Judaism is totally abandoning their sages, because Rambam and Rashi said, a person who goes to conversion can never be an authentic Jew, mm-hmm. because they can't bring an offering. Because this passage says he has to bring an offering, which is the basis for conversion is circumcision, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the keeping of the commandments, and to bring an offering. Right. And if you can't bring an offering, you're a convert, but you're not a real Jew.
1: Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. So, so you fish, the, final the, irony,
4: the irony to me is those, at least in modern times, that seek conversion actually have missed the only offering that they can receive before the building of the temple, and that is the offering that our Messiah made on our behalf. Hmm. And even though it's a man-made requirement that we have these three things to be a convert, because notice God doesn't say any of that here. Right. He says the same commands apply same to else. the native-born as to the convert, Period. Right. Yeah. Rashi and Rambam turn it upside down and say you can't be a convert because you can't bring an offering. That's right. not what he says.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And ironically, even though it's a man made thing, the 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 irony is Messiah has provided in Ephesians chapter two. He's provided the only offering that we can bring today as Gentile to be a part of His family. Amen. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, He's our entrance. Um, yeah, it's funny because the this, this, mm. the Sages commentary in Michael Masha on this particular passage. Um, notes that that commandment of bringing an offering is not relieved. Um, so when the temple is restored, the descendants of converts will have to bring the offerings for their ancestors' conversion. Which I think again, which means you're not a Jew, which means you're really not. You can't really. You're not really part of the group. You're still you know, partly outside. Anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens at the end when all the story is, is finished being told and, and how everything all works out. Um, but we ultimately know how the most important. Jew of Jews sees us, and that's really all that matters. Mm-hmm. So, yes, sir?
5: I'm glad you said that, because that's where I was headed, was uh, that portion of the Torah portion. Um, uh, whether the, whether whether proselyte or the convert is also expected to keep Torah. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas on the other side, where you were talking about Rashi and Rambam, uh, the visible expression of the church sees it as, well, this is just for the Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have to keep this. We don't have to do that. Um, but uh, Ezekiel kind of backs this up. In Ezekiel uh, Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel 47, uh, 18 through 22, the east side from between Hadan, Damascus, Gilead, and the land of Israel shall be the Jordan. From the north border to the eastern sea you shall measure this is the east side the south side toward the south shall extend from tomorrow as far as the waters of Kadesh, to the brook of egypt and to the great sea this is the south side toward the south the west west side shall be the great sea from the south border to a point opposite to <coughs> this is the west side so you shall divide this land among yourselves according to the tribes of israel 22 you shall divide it by lot for an inheritance among yourselves and among the proselytes who stay in your midst, Amen. who bring forth sons in your midst, and they shall be to you as the native-born among the sons Amen. of Israel. They shall be allotted an in inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. And in the tribe with which the proselyte stays, there you shall give him his inheritance, declared. Mm. Amen. Thank you. God. I want one acre yeah.
1: installed <laughs> That's very cool. Absolutely. I think we, we recognize that God does um, have that Plan for us as well, and uh, at the same time, we also have to maintain that humility at recognizing that we're yeah we're not the we're not the ones we're not the we're not the actual biological children here. We have definitely been adopted as sons, and um, while the father, and mother, in, in our human worlds, and our father in heaven definitely love adopted children like their own, um, we as 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 the the newcomers, so to speak. Have to maintain that humility to realize we're new, you know, we're 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 a different group, and I think that also in uh, in in modern times that's where the unfortunately the visible representation of the church has made a lot of mistakes. Is they said no 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 we took over for you guys new is better and you guys are out, and, uh, and in fact we uh, should we quote our masters is the old is better. Um, uh, I got a couple of hands. Gloria, do you have your hand up? Yeah, um,
2: I'm glad you too brought that up, because that was really what I got out of it this time. Uh, And if in 15, 14 through 16, and i had never seen that before. Mm -hmm. Um, And if a stranger dwells with you or whoever is among you throughout your generations and would present an offering made by fire, sweet aroma to the Lord, just as you do, so shall he do. One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you. An ordinance forever throughout your generations as you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. Mm-hmm. I just felt that really a confirmation even further, like when you, we do get spoken to by brothers and sisters you know, who do not understand <coughs> just yet. They might want to understand, but they don't just yet. It's really bad to Exactly. That's right. all you have to do. That's right. They may not receive it, but at least we can be confident in whoever was saying that. We just have to be like it was Jonathan, yeah, saying we just have to be confident that God has said it. Hmm. And that does settle it.
1: Hmm. It does settle it. It does. Um, Mija.
2: Um, Why she put made
1: this comment about the man picking up sticks on Shabbat and
2: he said that he did it for the welfare why she said that the man did it for the welfare of the people because some of them had thought that since they weren't going into the land that meant that they lost but God's poor didn't matter anymore. Right. So, yes. he Interesting. That, so he so his death proved that they still mattered right yes it's
1: um, it's an interesting approach to it they have a similar the sages are good at trying to find the best possible motives for most people Um, we should probably practice that habit as well Um, and they do do a similar thing with Jonah they say that Jonah is running away from God but the reason he's running away is because he knows that if he convinces if he goes and preaches to Nineveh they will repent and then they will wipe out Israel later in judgment for Israel's sin. so he sacrifices himself so to speak by running away from God knowing that God will punish him in hopes that then Nineveh won't repent um which is an interesting approach, whether or not we agree with that. The point is, we do, I think it is, a, it is a good A, to cite a source. Always good to good say when you learn something. And also it's good to think the best of people, even when what they do is actually wrong. We can, as you pointed out, assume that they're doing either out of ignorance or that they have a, another motive that might be positive. Yes, sir. Um, so we're coming to the end here, and I uh, appreciate your, your patience. Uh, I think we're going to just kind of wrap up the very last thing. I, if, you, if you put on tzitzit, Um, To lead in the morning, you pray this regularly, If you pray the Shema, the whole Shema piece every day, you pray this every day um, about the Tzitzi, and I, I, we know we've said this before, but it's just such a great thing to emphasize here we have, we this passage is easily one of the saddest passages in all of scripture it's awful, the people when they weep, uh, because God told them to go to the land, and then they blew it And now they're saying, oh, they've actually blown it yet. They're just upset because they feel like God has led them to the land. He's not going to actually give it to them. The whole thing was fake. God says, well, you're crying now for no reason. Now this day was Tishvah. Now this day will be a day for crying for real reasons uh, moving forward. Um, And so this is a sad passage. This is is the first time as a nation we really blew it. And, um, well, besides the golden calf. Wow. That was we had some rough us. ones. Levy was okay.
6: That's true. Not all of us.
1: In this case, they, they all blew it, and, and, uh, but, uh, except for a handful. Um, but then uh, the passage, the, the story, the, sh- the parasha ends with the guy picking up sticks. They stone him to death. It's like, wow, man, can it get any worse? Nation, we've sinned. Our individuals are, are losing it. What's going on? But God, God brings them back by giving them a mitzvah to say, don't forget about me. Obviously, you guys have had some trouble lately keeping your eyes on the ball. So, why don't you tie some things to your garments and every time you look at them, remember my commandments. Remember me. So, this passage ends with a sense of hope. It ends with an ongoing sense of hope because this is a commandment you do every day. It's not a commandment you do one time and it's over. It's an ongoing relationship with God. In other words, he's basically saying, I know it's been a really, really bad last few days, but this can... Uh, this doesn't end our relationship. I want you to still maintain that with me and remember uh, that I am Adonai, your God, who has removed you from the land of Egypt to be a God to you. That was the point. It wasn't just to take them out. It wasn't to take them out to kill them. It wasn't to take them out to make them do a whole bunch of commandments. It was to take them out so that he could be their God. It's about relationship.
0: Yes, sir. Our faith is demonstrated when we do things. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So just... You know, back to the beginning, when we don't recognize God's hand, when we don't see it the way we should be seeing things, it is a demonstration of our faith, and that is the lack of faith. When we keep the commandments, it is a demonstration that we do have faith. When you don't, you don't get any points from the world for wearing zits. <laughs> Although and they it, will ask questions. It's, yes. but it's an amazing thing that uh, back when. Uh, the older ones here were, were when we were younger um, it was a regular routine to see somebody with a string tied on their finger
2: mm-hmm.
0: what's that string for? that's to remind me to take the garbage out there. You know, something like that and here God is telling us to tie strings on that we might remember I just uh, I want I want my walk to be a demonstration of positive faith Mm-hmm. not a lack of faith yeah. and keeping the commandments are a way to do it uh, we had a, an opportunity to sit with the family a couple of years ago and uh, as we were leaving and the prayer service was over this, uh, this old Russian guy pulled out his suitcase he brought all the sitters for everybody and he started gathering up the sitters and stacking them in his old suitcase so I started grabbing up sitters and started packing them in the suitcase with him and when I was about to leave, he grabbed my wrist. Like I'm, I'm, I put the last one in there, and he grabbed my wrist. I went for my handgun.
2: <laughs> and I looked
0: at him, and he said, you are blessed. And I said, why is that? And he said, we Jews have to keep the commandments. But you, you choose to.
2: Yeah.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Huh? Very cool indeed. I did not choose
1: so <laughs> i'm glad you held back and it was nice
4: for him to
6: leave you a responsibility but we recognize that our responsibility is to god right well yeah we do have
1: to do it in the sense that we have to serve god but we as not being genetically jewish so to speak have right. chosen to put ourselves in the family of god it's true. It's true. and under his authority yes, so yes there's
4: a whole bunch of people in tel aviv marched yesterday that showed exactly the opposite, yeah, so he that. chose instead to turn away from God. Right.
1: But I think that's what we, as you're saying. It goes back to your actions in that, um, when choices. I was saying at the very beginning, um, you know, you can, you can start well and end poorly, or it's not how you start, it's how you finish. It is ultimately down to your actions. What did they do that was wrong? And, you know, everyone's got potential, let's be honest. Everyone could be dot, dot, dot. But at the same time, potential is really kind of a worthless word because it doesn't mean anything until it's expressed so as long as someone's life has painted one picture or the other whether it's godliness or whether it's wickedness that is really who they are now at the end of the story they have opportunities along the way to change who they are by changing what they do but ultimately what you do reflects what's happening on the inside so we have here with the spies, spies were leaders of the congregation, they were great men and yet the lack of faith they had inside eventually had to work its way out they couldn't stay there forever as Yeshua talks about um, out of the heart come the treasures of life. In other words, out of the heart, out of the, of the heart does the mouth speak. You expose who you are based on what you do. And so um, mm-hmm. that's a scary thought. I think that we have to remember that as we go around um, our days because Yeshua also says that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So it's like, okay, you're looking at your life. Does it look like figs? Or does it look like thorns? Mm-hmm. If it looks like thorns, it might be time to. That's a little introspection there. Some pruning. some repentance. Paul said, "I do
5: the things I... I don't want to
2: do." Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Well, it doesn't mean that well, you're perfect. No, I mean, yeah, thank it you. It does not Still mean strong. that you're perfect, Still but it.
1: Strong. But you look at your. I think. I think that. I think as we as we go through this story, it's. Um, you do watch your life because I think it's a bit of an up and down, but there is a there is a pattern, and I For think sure. that um, when you read First John, he emphasizes the idea that there's patterns of life. And so that even applies when we're, um, not that we're judging other people, we're judging ourselves. We're looking at our own lives and saying, I have a pattern of godliness or a pattern of something else. And if you have a pattern of something else, then you really need to, you really need to take stock. You really need to think, like, okay, what, what am I doing wrong? How do I fix this? Because this is not good. Even if you have a relationship with God, um, that's doing ongoing damage to it in that case.
2: Is it a dominance? i No, that's a... Is it a dominance of the better, I mean, you know, the better fruit, or? Well, I mean,
1: I think it's... Un-
4: fruit, I which is yeah, I think the thing it's is,
1: exactly. it's it's not so much a one-to-one list, like, you know, we can, oh, I have a little more good deeds, right. a little I mean more... That. But it's more the idea, yeah, I think it's more... Well, like I said, I think it really...
0: Which inner man are you going to follow? Right. And which one are you feeding regularly? And what do you what do you yeah. kind of default to? What do you what do you
1: what do you reinforce right. uh, when things go badly? How do you respond? You know, I think you see a lot about someone when something goes is disappointing. Do they respond in anger? Do they respond by cursing people out or making threats or saying things that are nasty? Or do they respond by patience and kindness? More importantly, do they respond in patience and kindness for the first ten times and then just explode on number eleven? Because, you know, there people respond different ways. They can, they can do different things. At times, it takes time. These spies, it took to the end of their lives before they really showed who they were. But that thing is what I'm saying about Yeshua is that eventually it comes out. That's why you've got to be doing that inner pruning because you don't want the junk that you may have started with to work its way out. You want to get rid of it before. That's why you do Pesach cleaning every year, right? Not just pruning,
0: but feeding. You need to right. feed right. The, the, the right man. Right, Torah study is a good place mm-hmm. to start. Mm-hmm. Well, the I'm one who is strongest about... is the one who is fed the most. Right, mm. that's and true. I, In mm. Italian, we say, "You know what's inside the grape when you squeeze it."
2: <laughs> and I'm thinking of David. You know the difference between David and Saul. David right. repented. He right. did evil, but he repented. Saul did not.
1: Saul did not. Yeah. That's true.
2: So we can go back and correct hopefully the things that we've done wrong. We can. We Well, we can, for well, we can,
1: we can repent. We can turn around from the things we've done exactly. wrong. Exactly. And we can hopefully correct the trajectory of our life.
2: Exactly. Going in the right direction. direction.
1: Yeah, we got to... Um, will go here and here. No, we'll do these two, and then we probably should wrap up, because I know we're getting towards the, uh, the end of our time here.
7: Yeah, real quick. Because of the, the whole feeding thing. That's a great point, because Rashi points out that the way that the commandments help or the, uh, the tzitzit help to remember is because first the eye sees, then the heart covets and then the body sins right. oh, so yeah. it's really like what are you looking at is what's going to be causing mm-hmm. most sin if your eyes are buried in the Torah all day you're, you're going to be feeding the right side because then in Psalm 119 mm-hmm. David also says that like uh, he actually mm-hmm. prays like, please avert my eyes from worthless things exactly. mm-hmm. Which, and then, and then focus my, my attention my, on the commandments you word in my heart exactly and my heart. Mm-hmm. right Right. Which is really cool. But then I was going to say about how the Torah is cyclical, that we're always reading these things. It's so cool because I feel like right when you, you start putting on tzitzit every single day out of habit is when you come to this passage and <laughs> reminds you how important it is. Because then Rashi quotes Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan that says, like, basically the, the passage of tzitzit is juxtaposed with the, the Sabbath because... Just like the Sabbath is juxtaposed with idolatry, he's pointing out that like those are equated, where you basically break the Sabbath, that's like the equivalent of breaking the whole Torah, just like idolatry is the equivalent of breaking the whole Torah when you break that particular command. But then like tzitzit is found here too, because keeping the commandment of Zitzit, it's like the, the sum of all the commandments in, mm-hmm. in doing that command. So it's just such a cool reminder of like, oh wow, this is super important. Like and just you know, kind of refresh. Mm-hmm. That's true. Very true. Yes sir.
5: All right. Um, this the last time, okay. so you got to uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No pressure. All right. So what's cool? Also, is um, you know, sometimes we forget how important prayer is in this whole process. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, Paul kind of speaks to that in his letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, he says, uh, "See that no one repays." Uh, it's first Thessalonians <coughs> five and fifteen. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people rejoice always pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is Elohim's will for you in the anointed Yeshua do not quench the spirit do not despise prophetic utterances but examine everything carefully hold fast to that which is good and stains from every form of evil um, so uh, in the garden of purity uh, uh, Rabbi Aruch says uh, what does he say <coughs> He says that uh, our, our head is like a menorah, right? Uh, our mouth, uh, we have two nostrils, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So the things that we allow in, right, take root into our heart. They, they, we see it, it becomes a part of our mind, becomes a part of our heart. Lead uh, kind of includes everything inside of us, and then that's what comes out of us, right? Um, and then this reminds me of David, Um before David went to war with the Philistines, he would stop and pray. Mm-hmm. Hashem, uh, should I go and take the Philistines now? He recognized in uh, Samuel that it was Hashem who made him king. Mm-hmm. right? It was, uh, even with his victories over Goliath, uh, the tens of thousands that he killed, right? he never ceased to pray before mm-hmm. he went into battle. He never looked at himself and was like, oh, I can take these. It was, and then how in touch it was one where uh, the answer was um, wait until you hear the rustling in the the bushes. Yeah, Yeah. and he listened. (laughs) So this means he could hear the 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 rustling in the bushes and knew that Hashem was with him before he went out. You know, and that is where I know I need improvement in my life is to pray. You know, before you make the decision. To do hmm. and then to do, you know, yeah, but to understand that we are not in control, to know that to empty yourself and know that it is all in his control, yeah. and yeah. not in our
1: yeah. humility. Yeah, okay.
5: speaking,
0: I approve that as the last
5: statement. There we go. Speaking of
1: prayer, um, if you would just close us out here,
0: beautiful Volcano we thank you uh, for the opportunity to be in community to study your word together and to sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. Father, we pray that you would go before us today and throughout this next week, that you'd make us mindful of what goes in, Mm. that we might praise you with what comes out. Mm. Father, we look forward to Rosh Chodesh, that uh, on the fifth day of this week, once again, you have allowed us to come to yet another season, another month, another renewal. And we thank you and bless you for it, Lord. As, uh, as we see uh, Glennis uh, leaving our fellowship over the next couple of weeks here, <coughs> Father, we pray that you would go before her as well, and that she would see your hand in her life, that you are orchestrating her steps. Father, I pray that you would cause her and the rest of us to study your Torah, to hide your word in our hearts, that we might not sin against you, that we would recognize you and your work, and that our actions and our decisions would demonstrate our faith in you rather than our lack of faith. And we'll thank you for it. In the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, and our Lord. Amen. 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 Amen.